Well, good morning. Would you stand with me as we read Romans 8, 31 to 39 this morning? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor uh, angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remaining standing, let's pray together. Jesus, we are so thankful that you are praying for us right now. That when we sin, and that happens often, You are our advocate before the Father, bringing before him your sufficient work on the cross on our behalf, your your, your empty tomb. I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would impress upon us the assurance, comfort, and the hope that comes from the truth of your interceding for us right now. Amen. Well, have you ever thought about what Jesus is doing right now. What Jesus is doing right now, right this moment. A few weeks ago, John said that Jesus was alive. And if Jesus is alive, what is he doing right now? We talk a lot about what Jesus has done, and that's a good thing. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose again from the grave. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. We talk a lot about what Jesus has done. And next week, we'll talk about uh, about what Jesus will do. Spoiler alert, we'll talk about that Jesus is coming back again. He is coming back to renew all things, to judge the living and the dead. We talk a lot about what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do, but what is Jesus doing right now? If Christianity, if following Jesus is truly the path to relate to a God who is love, surely something must be happening right now. Let me explain it like this. At at my wedding, I profess my love to my wife. It was a moment of of love, of sacrifice as I entered that covenant with her. Now what if, after that wedding, I lived in cool indifference to my wife, ignoring her the rest of, of, of our marriage? And when she would complain, I would say something like, listen, don't you remember what I did for you? Don't you remember our wedding? Don't you remember how I profess my love for you? I think it's not uncommon for many of us to know and experience Jesus something like this. We know and we believe that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again for our new life. But when it comes to his present posture towards us, we either are not sure what to believe or we assume it's some sort of cool indifference towards us. He's saved us, and now we wait for him to really save us. 
This is why you and I are, are, are so needed, it's so needed that you and I are reminded of the intercessory ministry of Jesus. Today we're talking about the intercession of Jesus. The author, Pastor Dane Ortland, he helps us see the heart of what we're talking about really clearly. I'll be referring to him uh, quite a bit over our sermon this morning. Ortland writes this, Christ's heart is a steady reality flowing through time. Indeed, the purpose of our series has been for us to see that. It isn't as if his heart throbbed for his people when he was on earth, but has dissipated now that he is in heaven. It's not that his heart was flowing forth in a burst of mercy that took him all the way to the cross, but has now cooled down, settling back once more into kindly indifference. His heart is as drawn to his people now as ever it was in his incarnate, in incarnate state. And the present manifestation of his heart for his people is his constant interceding on their behalf. His present manifestation of his heart for his people is his constant interceding on their behalf. Christ's heart is a steady reality flowing through time. See, to know that Jesus is interceding for you right now, today, in this moment, is to know not only that God forgives you and accepts you in Christ, but more than that is to know that he today not only loves you, but likes you, delights in you, is for you. I want us to ask and answer two questions today, two really simple questions that will be helpful to see this more clearly. First is this. What is the intercession of Jesus? And second, how does his intercession really practically encourage us today? So first, what are we actually talking about when we talk about the intercession of Jesus? I was telling someone this morning before I filmed this sermon that I was preaching on the intercession of Jesus and they looked at me kind of blankly, not knowing exactly what to think about the intercession of Jesus. What is this exactly? Now, now, popularly, we might be familiar with the idea of a person intervening or inter interceding on behalf of another person. Someone who pleads someone else's case for another party. Think of a lawyer who goes to a judge on behalf of their client. This would be a modern conception of intercession. But, but in the Bible, to understand intercession biblically, we have to mind the rich history we find there of intercession as it relates to God and his relationship to us, his people. Uh, beginning in the Old Testament in books like Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus, we see a temple system is established. And once a year, the high priest would go on the Day of Atonement and make sacrifice on behalf of the people to God thus atoning for the sins of the people. But the priests, as we read through the Old Testament, we soon find the priests are like you and me, meaning they're sinful, they're fallible. And it soon becomes very clear that they are ultimately unworthy mediators, unworthy intercessors. And as we come to the New Testament, we find ourselves in a tension, needing an intercessor, needing a mediator who is fully man, so to represent man before God, but also perfect. And so not man, but God. We need a God-man. 
This tension is resolved in the New Testament in the person and work of Jesus. Jesus is the better priest. Jesus is the one all these bad priests were pointing to. Jesus is the better priest. But, but, but importantly, we have to make note here that Jesus isn't only the better high priest interceding on our behalf, but he himself is also our better sacrifice. He, Hebrews 9.12 says this, that Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means, what? Of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. This language of eternal redemption, once for all, being bought back from sin, this is what theologians refer to and what Paul will talk about in our uh, passage in Romans as our justification. That in the moment we trust in Jesus, we are declared not guilty, that the sins and charges that rightfully have been levied against us in our own fallen nature and by what we've done and thought and, and all of that, we are declared not guilty of that sin. Jesus paid for that in our place on the cross as our high priest, not only as our high priest, but as our better sacrifice. See, we read already in Romans eight thirty-one to 33, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Then listen to what Paul says. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now we can, and maybe should, spend an entire lifetime in Romans 8. I heard a pastor say that Romans 8 is the most encouraging chapter in the Bible. And, and he might be right. It's an incredibly encouraging chapter. But, but to simplify or to summarize what Paul's saying in, in this section of Romans 8, very simply, what Paul is saying is that after the Father declares you not guilty because you are in his Son, you've trusted in Jesus, that he gave for you, sacrificially gave for you, no charge, no sin, no shortcoming, no, no failure, no, no shame, none of that would bar you and can bar you from the love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus. None of that can bar you from relationship with the Father. As our perfect sacrifice, Jesus makes a way for us to be justified, not guilty before the Father. Jake, I thought you said this was a sermon on intercession. I get justification. Hold on, here we go. As our high priest, Jesus' intercession is the day-to-day, moment-by-moment application of that atoning work of Jesus, of that justifying work of Jesus. Intercession is the application of justification. It's the application. Notice, Paul makes this connection for us. In the very next verse, verse 34, Romans 8, Paul says this. He connects justification and intercession. He says this, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Listen, who indeed right now is interceding for us. What's assumed in all of this is that even after you and I come to believe and trust in Jesus is that we still sin. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're very aware of this reality. Even after we come to believe and trust in Jesus, we, we still sin. We, we are not yet perfectly conformed to the image of Jesus in this age, in this time. 
But what this text is also telling us is that when you and I sin this past week or, or yesterday or even 40 minutes before we went live with this sermon, here's what was happening in heaven. Here's what was happening in the heavenly realm. Picture this with me. The Son went before the Father, indeed is always before the Father. And on the basis of His life and His death and His resurrection and His atoning work, His blood, on that basis, He advocated for us that we would not bear the punishment we deserve. This is not to say that the Son is pleading before a Father who is eager to punish. Uh, a Father who is begrudgingly granting us our acquittal. No, that's not what's happening here. Our salvation, our redemption, our perseverance is, a mu is as much a work of the Father as it is of the Son. In fact, in the passage we, we read, we, we saw this this morning. It is God the Father, Paul says, who is for us. It was God the Father who did not spare His own Son for us. It was God the Father, indeed, who elected us. And it is, Paul says, God the Father who loves us in Christ Jesus. Jesus is not trying to force the Father to do anything. He's not trying to trick Him. The intercession of Jesus is His right now today application of His sacrificial work on the cross for you. He is bringing his atoning life to bear on your daily sins and struggles right now. Again, reminding us that to know that Jesus is interceding for you right now today is to know not only that God accepts you and forgives you in Christ, but that he loves you and that he delights in you and he likes you today. My opening illustration of me professing my love for my wife you know, one time on our wedding day and then being sort of in cool indifference towards her the rest of our marriage was, yes, a, a silly illustration. Or, or maybe it wasn't silly to you. Maybe you know of a marriage or are in a marriage that looks something like that, where it started off really nice on the wedding day and has been downhill from there. Whatever the case, whether you're in this marriage, experiencing this marriage, or, or it sounds silly to you, we'd all rightly say there's something wrong with that relationship. There's something wrong with a relationship that begins with a profession of love, but then goes to cool indifferent, to not talking, to not interested. Yet when it comes, think about this, when it comes to how many Christians relate to Jesus, We've resigned ourselves to seeing for his love for us, yes, as existed in the past, but only in the past. Only as it existed in the cross. Only as it's seen in the resurrection. Only in the ascension. No wonder, no wonder, so many of us have grown cold in our love for Jesus. Have grown cold in our walk with Jesus. As Ortland said, we are ignorant of his present manifestation of his heart towards us. His intercessory ministry right now before the Father on our behalf. And I want to get more specific. And I want to get more particular because I think we need to hear this this morning. I, I love passages like John 17. 
and Luke 22, 31 to 34. See, we might not know exactly the mechanics of what Jesus' intercessory prayer before the Father looks or sounds like. But I think in passages like John 17 and Luke 22, 31 to 34, I'm saying that again so you'll write those down. In passages like John 17 and Luke 22, 31 to 34, we get a bit of a hint, a glimpse of what this intercessory praying might sound like, might look like. We get a picture, maybe, that Jesus is lovingly right now praying before the Father things like, our faith would not fail. That's Luke twenty-two thirty-two. 32. That Jesus is lovingly right now praying before the Father that we be kept close to him. That's John 17, 11. That we would have Jesus' very own joy. That's John 17, 30, 13. That you and I would be kept from the evil one. That's John 17, 15. That Jesus is praying for the Father lovingly right now that we would grow in holiness through his word. That's John 17, 17. That we would, Jesus is praying right now, be a body of believers, a church, united as one, even as the Father and Son and Spirit are one. That's John 17, 21 to 23. Jesus is right now maybe praying that before the Father we would finish our race well. That we would see someday Jesus in all his glory. That's John 17, 24. Jesus is lovingly right now praying before the Father that we would know, that you would know deep down this week the same love that Jesus has been loved with. The love that Jesus has been loved with from the Father before the very foundations of the earth. That's John 17, 25 to 26. Do you hear Christ's heart for you right now? Do you see in his interceding work the present manifestation of his heart for you? This is not just a past thing or a future thing. Following Jesus is a present thing. And if it is to be a present thing, we need to know and understand and indeed love his present heart for us. To know that Jesus is interceding for you right now today is to know not only that God accepts you and forgives you in Christ, but to know that today he loves you and delights in you and likes you. This is the heart of the intercessory work of Jesus. And as encouraging as that is on its own by itself, I want to end by explicitly spelling out a few more ways, more reasons why this should encourage us. And so if you'll, you'll, you'll permit me, I have, I have four reasons why we should be deeply encouraged by this doctrine, this teaching this morning. And the first is this. If you are in Christ, and far away, far and away, this is the most encouraging thing of this doctrine. If you are in Christ, you are not going anywhere. In the doctrine of Jesus' intercession, you and I find great assurance. Did you hear Paul's conclusion? Look at back at Romans 8. Did, did you hear Paul's conclusion after having considered the justifying and now interceding work of Christ? What does Paul say? Rather, what does Paul do? Paul bursts out in, in worship. Look at Romans 8, 35 to 39 with me. Look at it and read it as the worship that it is. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, insert your tribulation. 
insert your trial in there, shall COVID or isolation or a failing business or a failing marriage, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Look at what Paul says in verse 37. No! In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Hear that. Anything else in all creation. In case you were tempted to slip something in there. Anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What can separate us from the justifying work of Jesus? Nothing. What can separate us, what can stop Jesus, rather, from bringing that justifying work before the Father on our behalf, his interceding work? Nothing. Well, hold on, you might say. I've done some terrible things. I've thought some terrible thoughts. Things that I'm deeply, deeply ashamed of. Things that these people sitting on this couch beside me don't even know about. What then? What about the deep crevices of my sin, the deep crevices of my heart where, where, where sin and shame resides? What then? The author of Hebrews makes plain. Hear these words this morning. Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Listen, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Listen again to what Dane Ortland says as he summarizes Hebrews 7.25. Ortland writes this, To the uttermost in Hebrews 7.25 means God's forgiving, redeeming, restoring touch reaches down to the darkest crevices of our souls, those places where we are most ashamed and most defeated. Then Ortland writes this, Our sitting goes to the uttermost, but his saving goes to the uttermost. And his saving always outpaces and overwhelms our sinning because he always lives to intercede for us. As we've sung many a morning here, I guess when we gather together, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. His saving always outpaces and overwhelms our sinning. That's the first encouragement. The second is this. Jesus has been, and he is right now, praying for you in this strange, strange season. Maybe for the past six months, your prayer life has sucked. In fact, you've had no prayer life. Maybe your prayers went when you pray. Maybe they've been weak and, and, and frail and half-hearted, and, and spoken with only a whisper of faith that they'll actually be heard by a loving and benevolent Father. Two things, really quickly, by way of encouragement. Our faith is not in the size and strength of our faith. Our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in the object of our faith. It's in Jesus, so be reminded of that. The second thing is this. Jesus, who prays perfectly and exactly as we need, is praying for us right now. Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane, he encourages us with this thought, and I invite you, following our gathering, to consider this further, to, to meditate on this thought. 
If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million of my enemies. Yet the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. What if you could hear Christ praying for you in the next room? The distance makes no difference. He's praying for you. Third point of comfort. This Jesus who prays perfectly and exactly as we need for us will not be denied by the Father. All that Jesus asks of the Father will be granted. Again, we are not talking here about Jesus twisting the arm of the Father while the Spirit watches on uncomfortably like, oh, I don't like this. No, Jesus is God. United in will and desire with the Father as God, nothing that Jesus desires will be denied. And that's good news. That's good news if you come to see how beautiful, how good, how gentle, and how merciful Jesus is throughout our series, throughout this summer. There is no thwarting Jesus' good plans for us. You can't. His prayers will not be denied. And we see this most beautifully, most gloriously in our salvation. If you're a Christian today, one of the things that we can be sure that Jesus spoke to the Father was your name. Was your name. A local pastor and theologian, Mark Jones, he says it like this. There is no Christian alive who has not had Christ mention his or her name to the Father. Indeed, if you are a Christian, it is precisely because, think about this, the Son presented your name to His, and now your Father. Wow. Jesus, who prays perfectly and exactly as we need, will not be denied. Last thing. Jesus prays for you as one who knows exactly what you're experiencing. Jesus is before the Father, not as a a spirit, not as a formless idea, but as a man. Jesus is before the Father interceding for us as a man, as a human. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of asking for help or, or confiding in a person who just couldn't relate to what you're going through. It, it, it's, it's frustrating. It, it, it forces you to, to sort of close in, to, to not want to share, to not want to be vulnerable. But this is not the case with Jesus. Our concerns aren't unrelatable to him. Our laments, not unfathomable. Our sorrow, our weakness, not unimaginable. In Jesus, we meet the man of sorrow, our great sympathizer. And the result, look again to Hebrews with me, to Hebrews 2. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might, what? Become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. To know that Jesus is interceding for you right now, today, is to know not only that God loves you, rather that God accepts you and forgives you, but but more than that, is to know that God loves you. He delights in you, likes you right now, today. That he's got you. That he's 
praying for you and that nothing he asks for will be denied. And he is praying for you as one who knows not only what you're suffering, but as the one who only, only Jesus can bring about the healing you truly need. We'll, we'll see this healing in his complete fullness next week. But until then, we have one who prays for us right now in the midst of our weakness. Let's pray. So, Father, we come to you in Christ. in the work of Christ, on the basis of that work and that work alone. We boldly approach your throne because of what your Son has done. We ask that you would make us a more prayerful people, a people who now, with the access we have, take advantage of that access. We thank you for the comfort of the interceding work of your Son this morning. We thank you of your present heart disposition towards us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.